Hello, everybody, and welcome to the 320th episode of MTG Fast Finance, the podcast that knows that Cliff is the king of Kamigawa and James is a mere wandering emperor. MTG Fast Finance is your weekly podcast covering the world of Magic the Gathering finance, collection management, and speculation. I'm your host, James Chilcott, aka at MTG Critic on Twitter, my co-host and champion of our uh, Neon Dynasty limited tournament is Cliff Daigle at Word of Commander on Twitter, and we're here to help you folks make and save money playing our favorite game, Magic the Gathering. If you're this nice to me when I win, what would you have said about yourself if you won, buddy? Like, yeah, I'm actually pretty. I'm actually pretty humble when I when I win games. Cause you're very graceful in losing. It's. I'm very. I'm very in touch with the. The winds of fate that accompany games like Magic the Gathering. That's true. There's just enough chance to make you feel good about it. Uh, I'm glad to be here, everybody. I'm looking forward to sharing some valuable information with all of you. This show, as always, is produced by MTGPrice.com, the leading MTG finance community. Sign up today at MTGPrice.com to plan your specs, chat on an amazing Discord, and read articles by some of the best financial minds in the hobby. MTG Fast Finance is proudly sponsored by Cool Stuff, Inc., where you can find all sorts of cool, nerdy stuff in stock, including all the best in Magic the Gathering singles, sealed product, and a plethora of other collectibles. Use the promo code FINANCE5, that's the number 5, during checkout at CoolStuffInc.com to save 5% off your order and support this podcast. Cliff, dude, you eked out those games of Limited. For those of you that aren't aware, uh, Cliff and I were playing in the Neon Dynasty uh, Pro Trader uh, sealed and draft tournament. Uh, I went three and two in the first five rounds. You were four and one or five. And I was oh. four and one. Four and one. And I believe I I lost to uh, who did I lose? I don't remember who I lost to. Oh right, both... it was your punk butt. That's who it was. So then we drafted for top eight on the weekend, and you ended up with a, a red, red, white samurai aggro deck. Samurais and uh, and flying solo. Yes. And I came out with a pretty uncontested, really, at the table. It felt like green-white uh, enchantments deck with some nice synergies and a Tatsunari as my splash. Um, never really got to get that rolling too hard uh, in terms of comboing off with it with multiple enchantment plays or anything, but certainly did some work against you in, in game two there. Boy, you had you eked out some tight wins in games one and game three. I'm really pleased with myself. I'm not going to lie. Like I made the right decisions and they paid off and it worked out really great. And I'm, uh, I don't, I don't judge you for, uh, going for it the way you did, but I think you should have been going for the win instead of like just going on the final trade on the final play. Yeah. Supposed to swing with both creatures. Not that it would have made any difference given what was in your hand. It wouldn't have, but like I can totally respect, I'm going to try to kill you. And if you've got the spell and I lose in response, so in the first game i was pretty proud of myself when i i got past your first imperial oath and i was pretty sure we were going to get there and then you just managed to top deck exactly what you needed to clean things up it was it's really great i i had some really great top decks over the course of the top eight plus the lion sash getting out of hand and you never had a chance to deal with that like that that escalates really fast especially if you don't care about your own graveyard I was streaming in our Discord, uh, my side of the tournament only, and commenting along the way. And in that game, I debated whether the Fade into Antiquity... Well, first of all, in the preview to our match, 
when I was just showing off deck lists and whatever and, and discussing the pools, I, I noted that Lion Sash was the was the pivotal card because the Sash would define whether I could leverage my ridiculous graveyard synergies. Um, and sure enough, I, I went with the fade uh, into antiquity, antiquity on your befriending the moths to slow you down. Yeah, and prevent you fired you from, that way too early, buddy. To prevent you from getting the 2-4 the onto the table. And yeah, regretted it later that I didn't hold that waiting for a potential Lion Sash. Uh, and then in the in the second game, I kind of steamrolled you because you missed a land drop. Yeah. And then the yeah. and then the and called myself it as as lucky <laughs> for for being in that situation. And then in the third game, I thought I had you again. I mean, we we got some gross things going on pretty early there, where I was swinging with the ninja that brings back permanence, pumping him with the three three uh, channel card that becomes an enchantment, so he goes to nine eight hits you for nine, then it goes to the yard, then he brings it back to my hand. I, it's I a thought pretty impressive sure. combo. I thought for sure I had you there. <laughs> no, and, then, no. and, then, and then you got the back-to-back red-white samurais that give each other the plus two, plus zero bonus if one of them attacks. Honestly, I had both of them in the hand from the beginning. I was just waiting mm-hmm. to draw like some smaller samurai because uh, in an earlier match in the top eight, I had done... Like samurai into samurai into samurai, and I'm swinging for like 13 with a double trigger. It's pretty great. I think I died with two tails of Master Sashiro in hand at the end of the game. There, like I just needed I needed to fade one more turn, and then I could have established a, a reasonable amount of dominance. Anyway, Boris doesn't let you get one more turn, buddy. Yeah, I mean, you played real tight, drew what you needed to, and uh, I had no compunction about bowing to your superior ability. It, it worked out really well. I'm not going to lie. Like, if I'd drawn one one more stupid land, it would have been just... Wah, wah, wah. That's your second Pro Trader tournament win, right? That is correct. Yeah, and I've got one. It would have been my second as well. Um, still, not not too bad, not too shabby for the podcast host to post up one one two in what is not actually a very soft field. I mean, there are ex Watsy employees in there. There are plenty of mythic level drafters. Nobody gives an inch on these things either. Yeah, it's pretty it's you need to play tight pretty much the whole way through. And I really felt like I got lucky the last round because I think the Jeskai Samurai build that Aaron had was even better than yours. I, it looked really good when we posted the deck list, so I'm I was uh relieved I didn't have to play against that. I just knew I couldn't let uh your shenanigans get out of hand. All right, so let's jump on in here. We've got the usual uh, usual segments. Uh, we'll kick off with the Magic Online metagame week in review. We're going to look at one modern challenge from the weekend on Magic Online and one of the Pioneer challenges. Pioneer is increasingly relevant lately, um, given that there is a Pro Tour stop announced for this year uh, along those lines. So we'll take a, uh, a look at what's going on over there. In the modern challenge, on I believe this was Saturday, uh, we had Blue-Red Murktide in first, Four-Color Omnath Yorion in second, Yogmoth Combo in third, Blue-White Control in fourth, Blue-Red Murktide in fifth, Living End in sixth, Blue-White Hammer Time in seventh, and uh, Living End in eighth. Still a little less aggro, a little more combo, uh, and that is still my read on the post-Luris environment. It's still a relatively wide open field. You never really know what's going to land at the top eight. There's probably at least 15 decks in contention on any given Saturday or Sunday. But I'm not I'm not I'm not convinced that this particular flavor of top eight, a little more combo, a little less aggro, is necessarily a better format. 
Uh, I'm intrigued by your definition of Hammer Time as a combo deck and not an aggressive... It's like an aggressive combo deck. Oh, no. I I believe that Hammer Time is an aggro deck. But we used to see two, three, four copies of Lurus-driven decks in the top eight. And now we see Hammer Time kind of every other week. Well, you know, because Hammer Time is great. Um, You know, we've we've seen the, the price spikes on Living End a couple of times. Living End is just a fun deck to play because you're doing something so out there. Uh, I think we will see, you know, a return to aggressive shenanigans. Uh, We haven't seen burn in a modern top eight in a while, I think. Let me look back a couple of weeks and see if we have any burn listed. No, we had burn last week. Never mind. Uh, (laughs) So much for what I remember. Should point out that living end foils from Time Spiral Remastered. And keep in mind, this is a card that's only ever had two printings, the original Time Spiral and Time Spiral Remastered, where it was a pack foil, not a... uh, And it was moved from rare to mythic, by the way, um, and did not have an old border foil version. And we're down to 22 listings on those. You can still get copies in the $10 to $12 range, but these are going to be $20 plus cards very shortly. So consider that a bonus pick for people that listen to the whole cast. Yeah. I feel guilty buying cards during a podcast, so I'm not going to go buy those. But good job pointing that out, James. Living End is pretty consistently top eighting in Modern. And in paper, I've always had the impression that it was more of a niche deck in the sense that it didn't it didn't appeal to as many players as, say, something like Jund. Um, but the reality is that with the increased, uh, you know, action on the paper, like in-person play front... And the fact that the Living End deck always runs four copies of Living End, it's the namesake card, they always need all four. And and that Time Spiral Remastered was A, an expensive set, those were expensive boxes, and they were also the most limited print run of the last year. Uh, yeah, I think that's correct. Um, yeah. Means that, you know, there aren't... All, and the fact that it was up-shifted from Rare to Mythic means that there just aren't that many of the foil Living Ends around. And Living End is the kind of deck that it's been around for long enough that people probably feel more confident foiling it out than other decks, especially since a lot of the stuff in that deck is not particularly expensive. I'm with you on that. I look forward to seeing if it uh, translates to paper once we start doing that again. Uh, so over on the Pioneer Challenge, same day, we had Blue-White Control taking things down. They were running four Shark Typhoon, three Narset, four to five Drop to Fairy, four the Wandering Emperor, a card that is going to show up in the top paper movers this week, uh, four March of Otherworldly Light, and two Farewell. So really strong additions from Neon Dynasty to the blue-white control archetype across Standard, Pioneer, Modern, and even into EDH with the Wandering Emperor, March of Otherworldly Light, and Farewell. Um, I play a deck pretty similar to this with a Black Splash in Historic and... I like, I run almost all these cards except Shark Typhoon, and it's debatable whether I should be doing that instead of uh, casting Starnheim Unleashed. So, yeah, these these are all mainstays, and the fact that they're mainstays in this in this deck across multiple formats means they're worth keeping an eye on, uh, especially the Mythic ones. Second slot in the Pioneer Challenge was Lotus Field Combo, also a top three deck in the format, according to most sources. Four Lotus Field, two Ottawara, two Baseju, and four Emergent Ultimatum in that one. Blue-Red Phoenix is back in the menu, which has activated both uh, Arclight Phoenix and Thing in the Ice as specs. Uh, Four Narset in this build, and four Collective Defiance, which is a card we haven't seen uh, in a top eight in a while. 
Mono Green was in fourth place here with four Karn the Great Creator, three Kiora, and this is the uh, three mana Kiora that lets you untap permanence, by the way. Yeah, the one who also draws you a card when something beefy comes into play. Right. Two Nisa Who Shakes the World, four Cavalier of Thorns, four Storm the Festival, and four Nykthos. So kind of like a best of standard mono green from the last five years. Uh, four Winota was in fifth with four Winota, four Tovalar's Huntmaster, four Voice of Resurgence, four Fable of the Mirror Breaker. Mono White was in sixth. That's uh, a newer build for me, at least in, in Pioneer. They were running four Benelish Marshal, four Elite Spellbinder, four Thalia, four Mutavolt. It's definitely got like a throwback vibe to it. Uh, Black Red Sacrifice is probably the deck I would gravitate to if I was playing Pioneer. This is because uh, you get the Cat Oven combo and right. the Oni Cult Anvil combos and you're running Mayhem Devil. So you're basically just looking to like, for the most part, stay out of the combat phase and just kill them on the drain. Yep. You're just going to uh, just ping them mercilessly you got the voldarn epicures you got the deadly disputes you know just remember every time you're doing stuff with treasure mayhem devil is like sold uh the only thing i was surprised not to see in here was the um i forget the name of the the fabled passage like i thought that would be in here as a free sacrifice but uh they they don't want to play that one apparently I've also got four Haunted Ridge in the mana base there, and that will be relevant a little later in the cast. Blue-White Spirits in eighth with four Ascendant Spirit, four Supreme Fan- Phantom, three Faceless Haven, and the rest of the uh, the notable spirits. Ascendant Spirit is the... Uh, the Snow that? One. Yeah, what was the Boros card? Figure of Destiny. Figure of Destiny, yeah. It's like the blue version of that. Yeah, it's the blue snow version of that. Right. So worth keeping an eye on some of those cards uh, if Spirits keeps putting up results. Unfortunately, Spirits is kind of faded in in the modern meta. Uh, otherwise, these things would be a little more exciting. Moving on over to the top paper movers of the week, the Wandering Emperor. And this is just pack normal copies going from 35 to 44 um, on the back of strong multi-format play, standard Pioneer, a little bit of modern, some EDH. Um, I run it in Historic. The... This is looking very much like Elspeth, six mana Elspeth, when she was legal in standard, and the price trajectory for that white planeswalker. I mean, we're at maximum supply. This is when the planeswalker should really be drifting downward, but she's popping up in enough places, and enough people have said this is really good. Getting able to, you know, get this as a four mana removal spell, and then you're getting value every turn after that. So the the pack copies being forty four dollars, I. I'm struggling to remember the last time that a Planeswalker was this expensive in Standard. I don't think it was as far back as Elspeth, but it can't have been that long, right? Well, and we told we told pro traders to buy foil etched the Wandering Emperors around a hundred bucks, and I bought a small pile of those, and I've been flipping those in the two sixty to two eighty range online within six weeks of six weeks of purchase i'm actually starting to debate to debate whether i'm supposed to be holding those for a future 500 dollars plus price tag i mean that's the eternal question man is is a what if you're selling at that price then you're getting you know 150 percent profit is that enough great if it's not well a lot more than, than that from an annualized perspective like anything you do if you're getting 100 percent plus in six weeks you're it's just some ridiculous number on the annual yeah yeah you're uh, you're you're just calculating that so that you can lord it over the other math nerds 
<laughs> well, I mean, it really matters because if you can do three or four of those in a year, it's a tremendous difference versus waiting, say, two years to do to get that kind of return. Um, moving right along here, we got the Voice of Resurgence that shows up in the Winota builds going from six to eight dollars. This is a bit of a roller coaster spec. Like Voice of Resurgence was a pretty big deal back in the day, and then was real quiet and kind of fell out of the modern metagame entirely. And Winota has put it back on people's radar. We got Revel and Riches from Ixalan going from eleven to fifteen on regular copies. I'm pretty sure it dodged a reprint in those commander decks that were revealed today, right? I believe you are correct. So it's going to keep moving because there are very strong treasure themes present both in this set and Commander Legends 2 and uh it seems like Wizards is you know has made treasure not just evergreen it's kind of a focal point of the game right now well it's it's really really clear in in this particular set there's a lot of shenanigans going on with these we got thing in the ice back in the menu due to the blue red phoenix uh deck being solid and pioneer so those are going they went from like 12 to 17 or 18 dollars had to pull those back out of a uh older specs box where i had sold most of my foil thing in the ices at one point but i have some random like russian and korean non-foil thing in the ices that are good to get put up for sale and then likewise, we've got Eidoline of the Great Revel, um, which shows up in a Revel, not Revel. Um, I was wondering about that. <laughs> yeah, show, shows up in both uh, burn decks for, for Pioneer and for Modern, of course, and has gone has made its way from like mid-teens this week up to $26, and hasn't seen a reprint since M25. So uh, that's the kind of thing that I could see show up in Double Masters 2 pretty easily. It's got a lot of twos. I was going to say that the two factor on this is really high. So, Wouldn't, you know, I would not at all be surprised to see like a, the first fancy version of this card, like a borderless version. We're overdue for one of those. Yeah, we haven't had a special version of it. So I, I like exiting on the regular copies of Eidolon right now. I think you're it's very well positioned to get a reprint in the next year. And that's a pretty tasty price point if you were snapping them off in the 5 to $10 range. Uh, we've got the... Foil Zendikar Rising Expedition version of Seachrome Coast going from thirty low 30s to mid-40s um, on the back. Largely of blue-white control uh, play in Modern. Uh, also sees plenty of EDH play as well. We've got Skewer the Critics foils that are uh, Ravnica Allegiant uh, from 12 to 18. Heavy Pioneer play on that one in the burn decks there. I'm pretty sure I've got some Russian foils, Skewer the Critics, sitting around that I should put up for sale. Academy Manufacturer out of, not Manufacturer, by the way, out of MH2 going from 3 to 475. And I, I double-checked what the buy list was looking like on that the other day because I have a stack of 100 of these that I got under a dollar and certainly have my ear to the ground trying to figure out when I want to exit. And I think it's a little early still. I think we can wait a bit longer. Card Kingdom's offering 275 cash, 358 credit. I'm willing to bet that they that gets padded by a dollar or two heading into later this year because this one didn't get reprinted in one of the commander decks either um, and if it dodges that again for the commander legends 2 decks then i think we're in pretty good shape for that to see some real strong gains this year well it's really difficult for them to plan on a reprint of a card that only came out a year ago like these things usually have like an 18 month to two year timeline so i think you're pretty safe for another six months maybe another 12 months, but then it's going to start getting questionable. It's an artifact. It goes in any. It's good with all three themes of treasures, clues, and food. Yep. So, you know, I, I 
respect that you are taking the moment and trying to maximize your profit. Just know that you're uh, you're getting a little close to the edge there, buddy. I'm looking to be out of the card in six to twelve months max. And if it right. and if it if it pumps hard here, like if the buy list gets up up over five, I'll probably exit at least half the position just to reap the rewards and make sure cover that the rest your bases. of it yeah yeah cover your basis um which is pretty pretty standard like i just i think i sold 20 esper sentinels to card kingdom in at ten dollars in japan out at 24 credit to card kingdom this week and that's like maybe 20 percent of the esper sentinels i have on hand i'm just you know up as it shifts up the ramp because i don't expect that to catch a reprint anytime soon either um you know take advantage as the opportunities present themselves We've got uh, Rin and Siri Inseparable, the buy a box version going from, this is the non-foil, going from 20 to 34. This one was only available in the collector boosters for M21. The buy a box foil version was the one given out in LGSs, so it was actually there are more of those copies uh, floating around just given their distribution pattern. And that's jumping up that high on the back of that cat dog token commander in Naya from Streets of New Cabana. It's just cool. I like throwbacks like this they knew this was going to bump a little bit and quite frankly you know dogs and cats living together in harmony makes everybody happy we've got kalidas trader of get out of oath of the gate watch uh from 15 to 28 on the back of pioneer use uh there's black red mid-range decks and vampire decks floating around that use kalidas uh i sold a foil the other day chandra dressed to kill also seeing a ton of play in these uh standard and pioneer red builds Jumped up to 18 not so long ago and doubled again this week from 18 to 36. So you have not one but two Planeswalkers over $35 right now between the Wandering Emperor and Chandra. Yeah, um, you know, packing four of these into a deck that's all red cards anyway. You know, Chandra basically gives you a plus one to draw a card. And whenever you're gaining that level of card advantage on Planeswalkers and building towards something amazing... You know, they can't attack you. They have to spend resources dealing with the Planeswalker. It's it's going to be good. You know, you might want to get your copies now while they're cheap. Well, I mean, they're no longer cheap. But I, I it, it's always amusing to me that when people complain about a medium standard set, about the collector boosters not being utterly explosive, as though that's a thing that should be expected, you know, vis-a-vis, like, in the, in the style of Neon Dynasty. Um, you know, you can't have that all the time. But it is amusing to me that Vow, which people kind of thought of as a Soren foil uh, Japanese version or bust, you know, there's actually quite a lot of other you know, value cards. There, yeah. There's a lot of good stuff in Vow. Um, a lot of ca- good casual and EDH cards in Vow. And now you've got a, a few different mythics that are looking ascendant because you've got Chandra, Dressed to Kill, pushing up to the mid 30s. And then you got to start looking at Cultivator Colossus because Cultivator Colossus um, is being played in the Bant uh tameshi deck in modern and and, combo loop yeah so i mean it's doing some work there and they they run the full four copies um so shouldn't be all that surprising to people that you know the standard decks even if the cards are not immediately obvious to you as home runs they they often tend to get there later and i think ikoria was much the same I remember right. when Ikoria came out, people kind of talked about how the Trilands were kind of the whole were the whole deal. Or and early on, there was the the Black Godzilla card that referred right, to COVID. The, uh, yeah, the uh, Death Corona. Right, and 
people were treating that as the chase card and ignoring stuff like the ozolith you know there <laughs> there there were some very good entry points on pretty much all versions of the ozolith and if you opened enough of those boxes you got plenty of copies of that card and you know the triomes have been huge gainers and there were plenty of other things in that set that have taken off in in a way that was not recognized correctly up front and so you, you see a set even a set like midnight hunt you have no idea which cards from that will be activated in the next year of standard slash pioneer so you know don't don't one of the things i've heard some people do that i think is not necessarily ideal sometimes it feels like it feels good to get out of your what you think is the chaff from cracking collector boosters oh, none of this stuff is worth anything now. But picture if you had been dumping your Chandra's like week one. You're, you're going to feel pretty sad now. I mean, selling week one is a good plan for 95% of cards. Okay, but l- l- let me be clear. I'm not talking about selling into inflated retail pricing week one. That's great. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about week one. The first week you open something, which is sometime in the first month. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, and then taking the cards that aren't immediately $20 plus and going, I'm just going to buy list this because it's never going to be worth anything. You might want to do a second pass through that and figure, take a look at some stuff and see, you know, is this Chandra card potentially going to be something that might take off if such and such happens? Um, because I, I feel like you give sets a year to mature and you are often paid off. I would agree with that. That was about the timeline uh, pre-coronavirus. So I'm, I think that that works out for most things at this point, barring like the, you know, twice or three reprints within a year. Wargate out of uh, Alara Reborn from 8 to 18, just for non-foil versions. That's that Tameshi modern deck where they get a Lotus uh, Bloom into the yard and then Tameshi can return it to play, bounce a land, and they go through a loop and do a bunch of craziness, and then they end up casting a bunch of Cultivator Colossuses, Colossi, I suppose, and then they finale of Devastation and swing for, like, a lot, 40, 60, 80, 100, whatever. Um, not the most consistent deck, but it does have some really nice redundancies in the sense that a lot of their tutors can go get either side of the combo. Um, and I've been watching, there's been three or four major streamers that have put out videos on YouTube about that deck this week, so I'm not surprised to see related cards moving. Plus, worth mentioning, uh, we did tell you to pick these copies up in Europe, uh, three weeks ago? Yeah, three Something weeks like ago. Something like that. In episode 317. Yep. Bronze Bombshell out of Dissension, going from 4 to $9 on the back of Beamtown Bullets. Uh, I don't like this at all. If you're holding these copies, get rid of them. It's not even that good at that deck. Because it's just like seven damage to somebody. Yeah. Um, that sell, I guess sell, you sell. get. Yeah, you can potentially repeat over time, but whatever. Get out of that card. Uh, Go blank foils out of Strixhaven. Dollar uh, fifty to four dollars. You might have some of these sitting around. This is another example of like collector booster chaff that you might actually be able to get a, a few bucks for. Uh, it's standard and pioneer play. The the handy thing here is, yeah, it's kind of an overpriced discard spell, but. That incidental graveyard removal actually has me looking at adding a single copy of this to my historic deck, where I've been considering that I want like 
one more piece. I run farewell, two farewell at the top end. But I think somewhere in the middle, against some of the really fast uh, reanimator decks, you often want something like this where you can clear their hand and their graveyard simultaneously, and then they're just stuck on the, like top decking. Yeah, I mean, this makes some people real damn sad, and I can understand why you'd want to play just the, the miser copy, just to just really get them. Because you're, you're kind of your worst case is you're trading three mana for two cards, which can be pretty solid when they're sitting on... It's t- turns three, four, five, six, and they're sitting on two cards and three cards in hand, two of which... All of which they want to do things with, and two of which they're now going to have to give up. Yeah. Um, Viridian Re- Revel out of uh, Scars of Mirrodin, $2 to $6. That's anti-treasure tech, because you draw cards when they sack treasures, which is looking increasingly relevant. Uh, and, it, and again, d- uh, dodged a reprint in these latest commander decks. Time Sieve out of uh, Alara Reborn, $4 to $15. I've sold a ton of the foils, both from Double Masters. Yet another example where foil Time Sieves at a Double Masters were under $5 uh, the fall that they were released. And people were probably just throwing them in their jank boxes or whatever. And now they get to pull them out and make 20 bucks. And if you bought a bunch of VIP packs, you might have had one or two or three copies of that. And that's another $20, $40, $60 you can milk out of that sealed product. Very nice, very nice. Uh, and of course, that's because Bootlegger Stash and all the other treasure-themed cards make sacking treasure tokens for extra turns look very appealing. Maze's End is the centerpiece of a Pioneer Gates deck, uh, and there's more gates coming in Commander Legends 2 based on the leaks, so that deck might actually get... I guess it doesn't get better in Pioneer, because uh, Commander Legends 2 won't be legal in Pioneer. Right. But the but the EDH applications become more interesting. I mean, if you can get more consistent with I win the game with this particular card, Godspeed, like, what else are you doing? Are you just fogging everything until you have a chance to resolve your Maze's End trigger? Like, that's, that's I guess, a good time. That's that's a way to have some fun. They have a card that can wipe the board. Uh, Gates and of Blaze. Yeah, Gates of Blaze. And then... I think people forget that Dragon's Maze, I mean, Maze's End out of Dragon's Maze, uh, shout out to Alexis, is a mythic, not a rare. Yeah. And it had a store, uh, uh, a promo uh, in store, but Foil Maze's End are down to five listings on TCG Player, all hovering around 40 bucks. And even non-foil copies are down to 10 listings. And actually, it's less than that. They're down to five listings as well, with about less than 20 total copies so <clears throat> you probably have mazes and sitting around in binders you should probably pull those out and get them up for sale folks yeah this was a this was a card you opening like oh god this card and now you have a chance to cash in last week cliff called in the web of war out of betrayers of kamigawa to foils to go 12 to 30 and indeed folks went ahead and snapped those off so it's gone 10 to 45 according to current tcg player pricing there wasn't a whole lot of these out there the supply is really small so it's not hard for the speculators that listen to this cast to bite them off now the question is can they resell them at these prices to somebody that wants them Um, there's this really strong naya tokens theme in streets of new capenna and into the related commander deck so i suspect there will be players that are going to want to make use of this and it's entirely possible that the default uh color scheme for token decks going forward for this foreseeable future in EDH will be Naya, um, given all the support that, that you get specifically from, from this cluster of cards this spring. So I think this is uh, playing out pretty well. 
Are you, did you actually buy any? No. I try not to uh, pump my own supply, you know. Well, uh, very honorable, but you also get to miss out here. Yes. Scarblade Elite at a Morning Tide, non-foils, 50 cents to 8.50. This is, there's like an assassin-specific commander in Streets of New Capanna. I'm not really high on that commander. I don't think it's going to be one of the top three. And I don't think Scarblade Elite is a very exciting spec. So if you can get anywhere between 5 and $10 for those, power to you. I think you just get out of that and move on. Yep. Want to sell into your hype. Top Magic Online Movers of the Week. Everything coming up Pioneer Mono Green on this list. Elder Gargaroth out of M21. Three and a half ticks to almost six tickets. 70% gains. Old Growth Troll out of Cal Time. Two tickets to four tickets or so. Double up there. Cavalier of Thorns out of M20. Three and a half ticks to almost seven. So just over 100% gains. Layer of the Hydra out of uh, Adventures of the Forgotten Realms. Going from seven and a half tickets to almost 18 tickets. 145% gains. And I'm willing to bet that Layer of the Hydra was down under a couple of tickets at one point. So anybody who got in deep early. That's a safe bet. It's probably in really nice position now. Oh yeah, man! I love seeing a mono green deck do well. Uh, is the deck's playing Kiora? It's untapping lands for value, getting some extra Castle Garenbrig maybe going on. Everything is wonderful about that. Alrighty, let's jump into cards to watch. I've got three selections this week. You've got two, including a card I've talked about many times in the Discord. And uh, I didn't have time to get through the cards to watch Pro Trader selections, so I guess we'll make uh, I'll make a selection after the fact in the Discord and award the $25 gift certificate to Cool Stuff Inc. And maybe we can just call it out as a bonus next week. Um, my first selection this week is yet another of the dual lands from the Innistrad block, uh, demi block that appeared last fall. This time I'm talking about Haunted Ridge, which showed up in that black red deck, uh, the black red sacrifice deck that was 7th in the Pioneer Challenge on April 17th. More to the point, Haunted Ridge is already in 23,000 EDH rec decks, and that is pretty consistent in that, like, a little under 20,000, a little over 20,000 for most of these lands. And this is a Midnight Hunt land. The foil borderless is still available at about $16, but they're down to, like, under 20 listings. No major walls. As far as I'm concerned, all these lands are easy money. They're seeing play in... Standard and Pioneer, some of them show up occasionally in Modern, but they're just massive EDH lands, um, where if you sequence your lands properly, they always kind of do what you want them to. And they've done a very good job between the Battle Bond lands and these of providing reasons to not feel like you're being you're, you're missing out on having revised duels, right? Like, there are right. plenty of good, increasingly more, uh, that and the Triumphs, I suppose, now that, now that we have the full set of 10. Um, you know, Wizards has done a very good job of making revised duels a nice to have, but not an essential part of Commander. I I agree with that pretty strongly. Like you've got so many good options, especially at two colors, that it's really getting ridiculous. For sure, the non-foil versions of these decks are going to show up in Pioneer and Standard Challenge decks in the next year. So I think if you you focus on the foil borderless of most of these lands, it's going to be almost impossible to go wrong. Like if you want to just keep MTG Finance simple for yourself right here and now. Just go ahead and plow five hundred or a thousand dollars into these, and I don't see how that goes wrong for you. There's, well, they're so so unlikely to get a reprint of any kind, anytime soon. They're probably going to go three, four, five years before they see a reprint. 
They could be an ultimate secret layer at some point, but we know for a fact that there are other cycles ahead of them on that docket. So right. this just looks real easy to me. I think that they scared us a little bit when they did the pathway uh, secret layer so soon after the pathways came out. Yep. They, they kind of gave us a little just fear and it doesn't look like they're going to do it. But honestly, like this many decks this quickly, like midnight, uh, hunt came out six months ago, seven months ago. Like that's a really quick rate of inclusion. And I think you're right. This is easy mode and you should at the very least pick up whatever copies you want for yourself. Any extras that you can manage to get your hands on. Like, I don't know that you could spend a thousand dollars on these right now, man. Like, there just doesn't seem to be enough in the assorted places where you'd look. Maybe you got might get lucky if you had a brick that you could get in Europe, but it doesn't look like that's going to be possible on this side of the ocean. Good call. Across all ten, across all vendors, eBay, right. major yeah. platforms, etc. Yeah, you can spend a thousand dollars because you're talking about. Let's say you're talking about twenty times twenty times ten or something, right? Something like, like you that. You can you, you can get there, um, but not too many people can do that before these are going to be 30 or $40 cards. And that's kind of the point. Um, the, I've been picking, snapping these off in Japan as well. Uh, the Japanese arbitrage is the best it's been in the last 10 years or something. Exchange rate is like over a 20% discount. Usually you see something that says like 50,000 yen. You might be used to thinking that that's a $45 card, but now it's a $40 card with the current exchange rate. Nice to have a and, discount. Yeah. So there are already tend to be great bargains on EDH considered cards in Japan. And then you add in this additional discount and things get quite ridiculous. So I've, I've spent about three and a half thousand dollars in Japan in the last week and intend to spend more as soon as I have time to review some of the sites that I like to traffic. Uh, Haunted Ridge, Foil Borderless. I think within the year, doubling up from six, 15 or 16 or so seems very, very likely. I'd agree with that. Uh, you mentioned that uh, this is a card that you've mentioned uh, in the Discord, and we've talked about it, I think, last week on cast, but like, we haven't actually picked Thieving Skydiver. And so now I'm making... Oh, go ahead. I think I picked it a year and a half ago. Well, that's... Same, same version pretty soon after it came out. Okay. In the last year, I haven't picked it, but I have harped on it multiple times in the ProTrader Discord, including, I think, a post somewhere around April 12th because I went ahead and snapped off another 12 or 14 copies or something uh, at prices pretty close to what you're calling here. But I think this the story on this card is actually compelling enough to include it again here, so by all means, go for it. So uh, we're talking about the extended art foils of Thieving Skydiver out of uh, Zendikar... Uh, wait, we just did... No, yeah, it is Zendikar Rising. Yep. Uh, I was about to say Battle for Zendikar for some reason. Uh, it's in, you know, about 17,000 Commander decks. Uh, everything artifact-themed is good in Commander. You can steal somebody's Soul Ring. You can steal uh, artifact tokens. Whatever you want to do. If you've got fun ways to return it to hand, that's great. But it's really easy for this to be 3 mana, get a 2-1 creature, steal their Mana Crypt or their Soul Ring, whatever fun things you might want to do. Uh, don't uh, does it say non-land? I forgot to check. No, it does not. Oh, so you can steal somebody's artifact land. Love it. Love it all. Well, and you, you I, I'm actually a little surprised nobody's experimented with this in modern. First of all, it's a merfolk. 
So in the Merfolk <laughs> deck, you would think that they could find a slot or two for it, at least in the sideboard. I, w- I would think this is a good sideboard card against the Urza Saga tokens. You know, people made a couple constructs. Yeah. I think I'll have a construct for free. Thank you very much. Yeah, because then for three mana, you get a 2-1 flyer and their construct token. Ding. That's pretty good value chain. And you can also steal a couple of important things like Shadow Spear. Uh, you can steal Lion Sashes. You can s- steal Colossus Hammer, uh, etc. There there. There are a bunch of targets here, and if you if you if you steal the a hammer, hammer, it gets attached to your skydiver. It loses flying though, so watch out. So uh, I'm picking these to go uh, six to fifteen. Um, you know, there's not a huge amount of copies available on TCG in terms of uh, near mint foils. There's one big wall, but it's somebody who set up a wall of fifty two at thirty dollars. So you don't have a lot to worry about in terms of somebody sneaking out there with a very high quantity. There's only five pages of listings, and they're almost all ones or twos. And keep in mind that if that person's been accumulating under five, and they're looking at the stats and thinking, you know what, I just got to sit on this for another year or two, and this is going to be very solid returns. I'm right there with them. Like I probably have 30 copies of these foil extended arts bought under $5 at maybe three different intervals along the way. Once when I originally called it, then I ignored it for a while, then I grabbed some more, and then just recently grabbed another pile. I just don't see why people are sleeping on this card. It's It, it makes no sense to me. It steals everything that's relevant in EDH. You're taking their Mana Crypt, their Mana Vault, you're taking their Soul Ring, you're taking their equipment, their swords. You can take artifact creatures of relevance, break up combos. Whatever you want to do, it's all good. Steal their Lion Sash. There's true artifact lands in that You format. are going to be harping on Lion Sash for a while now, buddy, and I like it. Uh, tell me about this next pick, because I think yours is also, this is another very good pick from you. Supreme Phantom, M19 card. Talking about regular foils, because that predates Booster Fun. Correct. Uh, you can currently get them at around 6 bucks. There are just 22 listings left on TCG Player. No major walls. It's a 4,000 uh, 4, decks on EDH Rex, so the occasional spirit build runs it. Not a big deal there. But it's a pioneer 4 of in the spirit deck that we saw at top 8 above here. And it occasionally still shows up when people decide to table blue-white spirits in modern. That deck is definitely tier 2.5 or tier 3 at this point in that format. You don't really see it show up that much. So I think that is a strike against it. Uh, there was a time where had it been... There was a time where it was popular enough in modern that if it was also good in Pioneer, this would have just been a slam dunk. Um, as it stands, there are no no likely reprints of this card anytime soon. It's not going to be like a huge priority for Wizards. It could show up in a secret layer. It could show up in something like a Double Masters. But they've kind of been there and done that with the Spirits this year already in the Innistrad block. So if we didn't see it already uh, as a premium, fresh premium version, then you're probably not going to see it again anytime soon. And they also did, it actually did get a reprint in non-foil in the Commander deck for Crimson Vow. So that should push it to the back of the priority list. Um, the only fancy version that exists really is this foil, original pack foil. There just aren't that many of them around. I, I only put that my confidence level of this at a 7. But I think especially if you're interested in the deck for Pioneer and you, you were planning on foiling it out, yeah, you want to go ahead and snap these off. I agree with you completely. It's a two-mana flying lord for a tribe that like has gotten some fun support over the years. 
And if you're looking for um, its best buddy, uh, go look up Maelstrom Wander, or Mausoleum Wander, excuse me, not Maelstrom Wanderer, the one drop spirit that uh, if you go one drop Mausoleum Wanderer uh, and then into the Spirit Lord, now you've got the um, Spell Pierce on the table for no mana, which is just a delightful place to be in both Modern and Pioneer. So, like, this this feels really good. It's a four of... It doesn't have to be a Tier 1 deck. Like, people buy this by the playset, and there's not that many to be had. So, again, excellent combination of right play pattern and right supply. So, this is... I, I would give this at least an 8. You know, you're being humble on the 7. Just because I think, like, Pioneer is the primary play pattern, and that still needs to prove itself. It's not clear how many people are foiling Pioneer decks, etc. But I, I like where it's at in terms of... You know, there's probably been some drain here just from casuals because people are building, you know, there's a lot more people buying, building casual, in brackets, whatever, decks than you think there are. And <laughs> it's they always tend, true. And, and they don't always, everyone just kind of assumes that casuals buy non-foils. That's not true. You can still like fancy cards, even if you're just playing at your kitchen table against your brother or whatever. So, Yeah. Uh, moving along here, I know this is... Like, I think we've picked every invention at some point on the cast, but this one is in a pretty decent position for mop-up, so give me some info here. Uh, well, Sculpting Steel got a reprint in the Commander 21 decks, and it made me go look at the invention copies, and they're they're ready to go. There's not a lot of them available uh, right now on TCG. Uh, let me look up... Exactly. Four, 14 listings, no major walls. 14 listings. Uh, right now you can get it for around 60, and I'm conservatively saying it's going to go to around 100, but I would not be shocked if it ended up at 150 after some of the sharks list, listen to this cast and say, there's only 16, 14, let me go buy them all. So uh, if you want one, I hope you have a chance to go buy one for yourself, because the invention frame is gorgeous, and I can never have enough of them. And yeah, just I know that we will end up picking all inventions and all of the invocations eventually. And just let me remind people that a reprint in a commander deck means nothing to a premium version like this. I think last weekend in the Pro Trader Commander Night, I think I searched up Sculpting Steel and copied my Brea or something like that for value. It's not like I think you're a good person when you play, but like every now and then you really remind me that like you're an animal. I mean, the first Brea died. It wasn't like it wasn't any major thing, but I I have definitely cast this exact card in the last week, <laughs> and the inventions are very good looking. There's very few of them left around. Wizard seems to show no interest in reprinting stuff like this. Although a premium master set down somewhere down the road, I think has to be sure. in the back of all of our minds that they that they could do that. They'll just put the stupid little Planeswalker symbol in the bottom left corner and go ahead and reprint all the cool cards. I can't decide if that's amazing or horrifying. I need to think about that for a second. It'd be a definite gold mine for them, so it seems likely they'll try it at some point. The... Invention Masters. Hmm. Like, just, just premium masters, right? And it's just going to be... At a certain point, there will be enough of those cards that have been out of print for a long time like the inventions. And if they wait like a good 10 years, then no one's going to complain really. Like the people with $1000 masterpiece soul rings will be upset, but they their version will still be worth a lot more than the reprint and the reprints people, will end up 
the reprints will end up being gainers anyway. Like, what what do you think? Depending on the the structure of it, those might debut at two hundred or something or three hundred, and then get down to one fifty as the supply glut hits, and then they would eventually be five hundred dollar cards versus the thousand dollar originals. Listen, uh, I've done the math on a bunch of these different things, and I'm working on the math for New Capenna right now, and they have methodologies in place to make these things crazy rare. So if there was a crazy rare reprint of Invention Soul Ring that had the Planeswalker symbol in the corner, um, it would not touch the price of the original Invention Soul Ring, and everybody would be fine. Now, I'm still very uh, suspicious that Brothers War will have Inventions Part 2. Sure. I mean, that seems like that seems like a good fit. The thing is, they kind of telegraphed a different approach with those blueprint cards that were handed out with secret layers starting sure. early That's early fall last year. So it could be that those preface and inventions style set of cards associated with the Brothers War that look like that. I don't think anybody will be too concerned either way. Like you could also do inventions part two and make a similar border, but have it be blue or something and, and get away with it pretty easily. Um, and then reprint soul ring with different art there and let it go on its own journey. Um, mm. There's a lot of options, but it, brothers war is a very suspicious looking set to me. Like there's just so much nostalgia potential there. And we know it's all, it's an, a war that centers around dueling artifact armies. So something very Something very sexy is probably coming out of that set. All right. My final, final selection of the week. I, I thought I had picked this exact version prior. I but was I thinking think, that too, but I, I looked and it wasn't there. Yeah, I went back and at one point I definitely picked, I think it was summer of 2020. I picked, I think 2020 or 2021. Can't remember for sure. But I picked non-foil version of this to go 5 to 10 or something like that. And it hasn't really budged. So I play this card in every deck that can support the mana and EDH. I'm never sad to draw it. It always does a ton of work. I'm always disappointed in other people's decks that I don't see them casting the card. And we're getting to the point now where it too has massive EDH rec stats and relatively little listings. I'm talking about Foil Extended Art Heliod's Intervention, the card that wipes the board of all the problematic enchantments and artifacts, and especially if your local pod tends to have a Go Shintai player. Um, this is, a, you know, which is a very popular commander this spring. This is a very handy card. You need to get a bunch of those important enchantments off their table so you can get through their pillow fort and what have you. So you can currently get these around $20. They're going to go 20 to 40. It's kind of inevitable. There's 33,000 decks on EDH rec. It's a singular premium printing. No reason to believe there's any reprint coming anytime soon. Under 20 listings on TCG player, no major walls. That's just bye-bye-bye kind of territory. Yep. Uh, this is another one that, you know, I you said it. It's amazing in Commander. It's the premium version. Uh, I think that we will get a reprint at some point, but, like, this is just too good a card. It's too flexible. More people should be playing it. I'm embarrassed that I haven't bothered to put one in my zombies list yet. I'm still playing uh, two white-white uh, exile at instant speed one so let me go uh, get one of these for my uh, esper zombies 
And I'll, I'll be a good boy. I'll, I'll stop not playing it and disappointing you. All right, so we will put cards to watch to bed and move on over to the weekly, the topic of the week. Uh, we're going to talk about the Nuka Pena Commander deck reveals that were dropped today. This finishes up the new cards from Streets of Nuka Pena and the associated Commander decks. I'm actually pretty impressed with the Commander deck exclusive cards that are also, I guess they're not exclusive, they're home is the the new newly revealed commander decks which are also kind of the the uh main commander deck release of the year right that tends to be the spring release lately and there's always a group of cards in there that are new and that you can find as extended art and i think now foil extended art right in the collector boosters they announced that that for a long time these were extended art no foil only but now you can get foil versions if i'm not mistaken uh, hang on, I've got this up right now. Um, no, I do not believe that to be the case, because the slot still says Extended Art Commander Rare or Mythic. It does not say Foil. So, I, I, Am I confusing them with the set booster cards, which can now be found in Foil? I think so. That might be true. Right. Um, I'm, I'll double, I'm I'll double sure. check that and report back next week. Okay. Bottom line, there's some very sneaky good cards. Sneaky? Sneaky. So, some, some of them are very obvious. Some of them are sneaky good and are going to be discovered later, trust me. Because A, there's a lot going on here. So, I mean, a lot of these cards are just going to kind of like, people will look at them once and go, oh, okay, I see what they're doing there. Seems to, f- it makes sense because it fits with the themes of the uh, the New Capenna gang in question. And then people might think, yeah, but I'm like, I'm not building anything that needs that right this second. And so I see a lot of potential bricks here. I think the cards that are going to end up floating to the top are the ones that transcend the themes of these decks and are just going to end up widely played. Just a good rule of thumb in general for figuring out what cards to focus on out of these kinds of, out of these lists is to look for, you know, something that's going to approach smothering tithe level play. So we're going to talk through a whole bunch of the new cards here, but at the end, we'll double back and try to figure out which ones we think have the broadest applications. I'm going to start with one that I think a lot of people may underestimate, but to my eyes looks very good, very flexible, very easy to include in a lot of different places. Card is False Floor, an artifact with tremendous art, by the way, um, that comes in the battlefield tapped. Creatures enter the battlefield tapped, yours and opponents. And then two tap exile false floor, exile all untapped creatures, activate only as a sorcery. So the thing I like about the thing I like about this is in pillow 40 builds where they're running propaganda or ghostly prison or silent arbiter, which forces just one blocker and attacker per combat step, you stand up the board <laughs> in a vigilant position where there's a lot of creatures that wish they could have attacked you but haven't. And then you're threatening to just exile all relevant, all untapped creatures at some point, which could be a one for five, a one for 10. It could be a one for 15 or 20 plus. And you're not just putting them in the graveyard where they can be abused further. You're exiling them from the game where they will not, not no longer be able to trouble you. This seems Oblivion Stone-esque, no? I mean, it's really good. Like, the activation cost, you know, is two mana. And it's 
trivially simple to just like set up a turn where you've got the two mana, you do something ridiculous, and then you go ahead and play something else after it. You know, that's that's the 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 top level. That's before you get into uh, anything that taps or untaps your stuff. Like how ridiculous is this with um i've been selling uh, copies of intruder alarm from uh mystery booster you know about one or two every week and now i'm gonna put these on hold because this seems like a great combo together i can't remember if we established last week which blue card would allow you to tap an artifact to tap a creature tap it oh that's um that it no opposition is only you have to tap a creature i believe right Am I thinking, what's Mind Over Matter do? That's in the you back of my head. You have to discard head. a card in order right. to tap or untap a creature, artifact, or land, I believe. Yeah, and Opposition is tap a creature to tap something else, right? 80% sure. Yeah, it's yeah, it's tap and untap creature control, tap target artifact creature land. But I'm sure I'm forgetting something obvious that allows you to tap artifacts to tap creatures. And... Um, or untap things. I mean, I just know there's going to be shenanigans here. <laughs> First of all, it's an artifact, so it can fit in almost any colored deck. It's going to be favorable in decks where you don't really care that your creatures are coming into the battlefield tapped. Obviously, so like spells, matters, decks, and stuff probably have uh, additional homes for this. But there's just going to be a bunch of interlocking synergy pieces with this that are going to be end up being making it useful. Now, the one downside to flag beyond the creatures coming into battlefield tapped is that you can only do this at sorcery speed so you can't really futz around with it on opponent's turns you're doing it in your main phase but it's such a good rattlesnake card because if they go ahead and swing on you on their turn and they know your turn is next or coming up they've got to accept that the false floor might fall out the floor might fall out from under them and that's just excellent flavor cool looking card goes in any color deck there's a bunch of different shells that could find reason to run this if they have the relevant setup or synergies, and that's what's got my attention. I'm not convinced this is a brick yet, because I think there's, it's entirely possible a lot of people will overlook this card, but I won't be surprised to see it show up in the, the top 10 of these NCC cards, which is what the Streets of New Capanna Commander deck code is. It's NCC. Right. Moving, moving along to some of the other stuff here. Scepter of Celebration, two and a green, artifact equipment. Equipped creature gets plus two, plus zero, and has trample. Okay, whatever. Equipped cost of three, also not great. Whenever equipped creature deals combat damage to a player, create that many 1-1 green and white citizen creature tokens. Ding! This is a little weird and awkward, though. Because it's a very much a win-more card. Don't, don't, uh, don't underestimate that. Well, the thing is, the thing the creature most likely to get through is either big or it's evasive which is not necessarily the kind of creature you would expect to have in your tokens deck, where you're interested in making a bunch more tokens on the hit. So it, to my eye, had this been in standard, it probably wouldn't have been good enough there either. But at least in, the, in those kind of formats, you can there might be the kind of thing where you have a green creature that's a 4, 4, or 5, 5, or 6, 6, or whatever, and you're swinging to instantly go wide. You know what I'm saying? You, you land right. a hit, and then you've got a go-wide army. And then you've got some kind of synergy that's going to buff that army the next turn and finish things off. In in a tokens build, this seems fine. I feel like this card will get cut um, a lot of the time. So to me, this this is probably not a priority pickup. 
I agree with that. I mean, there's uh, a lot of uh, Voltron builds out there. And this one, you know, you always want your Voltron to have trample, so that's really good. But um, once you have your, your one guy uh, hitting somebody, now, just like you said, you've gone from stacking up on one thing, now you have a whole bunch of tokens for chump blocking purposes? I'm not sure, like, what else you're going to do with this. But uh, it, well, it well, has some interesting possibilities. Let's compare this to Crash the Party. Now, this is the... a card. This is a card that Commander players love because whatever you're doing, you're already doing what... Can I tell people what it does? Because I love this card. Sure, just let me compare the... like okay. Finish the, the CMC comparison here. Scepter is three to put into play, three to equip. This is six at instant speed and probably does more of what you want to do. So what it does is, uh, like you said, five and a green for an instant. Create a tapped 4-4 four, four green rhino warrior token, creature token, for each tapped creature you control. So the definition of commander is winning more. And what you want to do with this card is attack with however many tiny tokens. And then you slam this uh, during the combat step and you are in there for six, to six more tokens. You know, ten more tokens. The sky is really the limit. And this is going to be something that commander players will not let get super cheap. Like there's not going to be... every. Every commander deck that gets opened, people will generally like build a deck with it because these cards are really fun and synergistic. This one, you're going to get you know four or five tokens off it the first time you cast it. You're going to be addicted to this stupid card, and it's so good. I love it. In the next five years, they will reprint this twice in other token-focused commander decks. Thousand percent. <laughs> and, and, and the foil extended arts will be expensive by then. There will not be any. It's worth noting, you don't get the Rhinos tapped in attacking or anything. Right. But, and you, and I don't even think this is a win more card. I think this is building to your win. Because on turn four, five, six in tokens, you might be attacking for th with three or four tokens against the player that left their, that didn't leave blockers up. Or it maybe they... hasn't played or, a creature yet, and you're just hitting them with your or, tokens because you can't. Or like, for, or it's me. Like, you're playing against me, and I just drop Brea, and, she, and, and she's got Thought Pursuit. So you leave me alone, and the, the other person's got Atraxa on table, but... And, and some planeswalkers so you swing in on the attracts a player she's going to block one token gain some life the other tokens are going to are going to hit some of the planeswalkers and then you crash the party for four and you make 16 16 worth of bodies across four creatures at instant speed and then you might have some shenanigans like intruder alarm says when creatures come into play you untap all creatures you control right mm -hmm. yeah so you could do this blocking Oh, no, you can't because it's for... No, no, no. It's Oh, no, you could because you could have attacked on their... You attack into somebody. This card just counts your tapped creatures. So you could opposition some stuff down. And then they attack in with the remainder. And then you cast Crash the Party. The cards come in. Intruder Alarm untaps them all. There's all sorts of silliness that could Honestly, take place. I'm going to try to kill somebody with this and... Um... Uh, not Pandemonium, but the other one, uh, Warstorm Surge. The six mana one whenever your creature comes into play. Power dealt to a target equal to the power of the creature that comes into play? Yeah. Yeah. That's like, play this, boom. Yeah, I think Crash Party's great. Really good strong tokens card. Potential brick in my eyes. Um, we've got Seize the Spotlight. Uh, I think where red is headed in Commander is pretty interesting because they're giving players in red who are not known to be subtle players 
a lot of subtle cards that are difficult to evaluate at first blush. Seize the spotlight. I think Jeskai's will was very Jessica, uh, Jessica's Jessica's will. Jessica's, Jessica's will. will. Yes, was very much like that. People underestimated it at first, and then it was worth a bunch of money. Uh, seize the spotlight. Two and a red sorcery. Each opponent chooses fame or fortune. For each player who chose fame, gain control of a creature that player controls until end of turn. Untap those creatures, and they gain haste until end of turn. For each player who chose fortune, you draw a card and create a treasure token. So let's say you've got a sack effect on board. <laughs> This is three mana, make three treasure, draw three cards. Because no one is letting you take a creature that you're going to sack. I would I would let you have uh, a creature before I let you have a card and a treasure. I'm not going to lie. I'm going to stab somebody over this card is what's going to happen. They're going to say, like, you can have a card and a treasure. And I'm going to say, no, you fool. No, oh, now you have ruined it all. This is, uh, this is got potential, yes. This is the cost of a bad threaten card. This, this at worst is going to be triple threatened, yes. But the problem is, like, if how many times do you think somebody will cast this and they'll only have, like, two opponents with creatures? And then, you know, you get... But the thing is that they don't, get to cho- they don't get to impact what card, what creature you grab. Right. Unless they, unless they have their own sack of X or whatever. They, they just get to choose whether you're grabbing. And a lot of the time, they're not going to want you to grab their best thing. Their commander, well, or their commander, or whatever, and then presumably sack it for value. The way that it's worded, um, you're not targeting with this. Yes, you can grab hexproof creatures and so forth. That's uh, I forgot about that part. I was going to say that it's not like you choose the target, and then they pick fame or fortune. They pick fame or fortune, and you just grab the creature. They don't get a chance to respond to it. So they have to choose to do something about their best creature or their two best creatures before uh, this spell resolves. Once you get to the point of picking fame or fortune, then you have gotten to the point where it's too late to sacrifice your Blightsteel Colossus to something else. Interesting timing issue. The, the other thing is it doesn't target the players. So Hexproof for the player doesn't work either. This, mm. this, is, this is a sneaky good card. <laughs> because, you know... Either you're swinging with the three best things on board, which is presumably going to be, you know, 15 damage or something, or some of the people are letting you do that, and some of the people are giving you cards and treasure, all of which for three mana. This is a card I will definitely be experimenting with. Um, I like this next one, too. Life of the Party. Three and a red for a zero-one elemental first strike trample haste. Whenever Life of the Party attacks, it gets plus X plus zero until end of turn, where X is the number of creatures you control. When Life of the Party enters the battlefield, if it's not a token, each opponent creates a token that's a copy of it. The tokens are goaded for the rest of the game. (laughs) Goad is a super fun political mechanic that I like a lot. And this is sneaky good, because you're getting a 0-1 First Strike Trample Haste that gets bigger based on your tokens and all your opponents get one too and they can only attack each other and the more creatures they have the better that gets for you yep it's all of those things all at once and like and you're just gonna watch your opponents just like smash these against uh each other and watch the carnage 
because you don't want to block this card for nothing. It's got first strike and trample. Yeah. Now, I think this is a medium card. I'm not convinced this is brick, brickable. Uh, I think it's sneaky good and people will overlook it. I think that it's much more interesting in blink decks. Like if you're in Jeskai Blink or something, this gets more sexy because you can give people, then you're, every time you blink this, you're giving more and more tokens to your opponents and they're all goaded. Um, outside of that, probably doesn't make the top five of the set or the, even the top 10. I have an unrelated question real quick here, James. Um, before we go in too deeper into these, how long are you planning on waiting before buying any of these? I want to clarify that for the people listening. Mm, well. Oh, that, 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 that hurt you. I didn't expect that to hurt you. No, I was just thinking. Streets of New Compa- I mean, here's the thing. A lot of the good cards like this from last year's Commander decks caught a reprint in these Commander decks. Not a lot. Some. There, there are some cards from the 2020... Uh, not last year's. Two years ago. Cards from the Ikoria Commander decks, like Slippery Bogbonder, just caught a reprint. So, whenever I see that like frequency of reprint in non-foil, whether it's the list, the Commander decks, whatever, pushes me further and further towards premium versions that aren't going to catch reprints as easily. Wizard seems to very much be signaling that reprints are not off the table, in any sense of the word, but they're less likely to reprint a premium version than a, than a regular version. Mm-hmm. So... Had if these had foil extended arts, the point I got wrong before, it makes them even more exciting because I think that there's more of a draw to a foil extended art than there is to an extended art. Um, but uh, that being said, when do we get these? When I think midsummer, when everybody's focused on Commander Legends two and Double Masters two, this stuff probably get will be at its cheapest because it will be it will Streets of New Capenna collector boosters will have been cracked to the extent that the gaming company has big walls up. and I was thinking I, w- I would look for the gaming company walls to pop up, and that's when I want to move in. Yeah. All right, so let's, there's still a lot to go through here, because there are actually... I, I, I believe that there are more interesting cards this time around than any time recently with these decks. Grand Crescendo. X double white. Create X one one green and white citizen creature tokens. Creatures you control gain indestructible until end of turn, and it's at instant speed phenomenal card can't go Phenom- phenomenal phenomenal tokens card well i and, mean you're also and, and, just at double white to give all your creatures indestructible until until end of turn like right so it's not amazing. it's not so it's not necessarily only in a tokens deck because as you said this you can just use this to push damage through or complete a very lopsided combat phase what was the um, the Alara card that destroyed all creatures if you went to X was too high? Um, it was some similar thing. I'm going to look this up real quick. Not Aurelia's Fury or something. No, 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 no. From original Alara. Um, uh, create soldier tokens... Oh, 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 I know the one you said. Like, if you make 10 soldiers, all the other creatures die. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I forget what the name of the card is, but I, I catch your drift. So, like, modal cards are ridiculous. And this one is definitely... I can't remember the name of it at all, and it's going to bother me. Um, but this one has, like, the, the two-mana save-your-creatures-from-shenanigans mode, 
Like, we already know, like, this is not as good as um, one in a green, hexproof, and indestructible uh, spell, whose name also escapes me. Heroic Intervention. Heroic Intervention. Uh, this is half of Heroic Intervention, and, you know, it won't save them from, like, a Farewell, which just speaks to how good Farewell is. But you also have the uh, fog case where you're using this as like a seven mana fog. I block your five things and my things don't die. You know, just thing out is, of nowhere. Thing is, they, they fare well and wipe the board. This is the thing you cast right after. <laughs> you're totally there fine to let, 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 the, let the board go and then cast your X equals token spell. <laughs> but you know, the, this kind of flexibility is pretty amazing and... I'm I'm looking forward to buying a large quantity of these sometime in the future. I think that this is a brick. My my first my first impression of this card is it's a brick. I don't think we're uh, gonna have a chance to get it super cheap, like, but it'll it'll be something that I oh, I will want to spend money on. I disagree. I bet you I bet these get pretty cheap. Uh, we'll see how it goes. Uh, Aerial extortionist, three double white for a four three flying bird soldier. Whenever Aerial Extortionist enters the battlefield or deals combat damage to a player, exile up to one target non-land permanent. For as long as that card remains exiled, its owner may cast it. Whenever another player casts a spell from anyone, anywhere other than their hand, draw a card. This is also, like, medium good to me. I don't think it's a brick, but this card is better than people may realize. You can Banishing Light a whole bunch of stuff... Especially, again, if you're in, like, Jeskai Blink or something. You're going to keep blinking this. And unlike those other Banishing Light-style effects, it's not one at a time. It's not like if this leaves play or anything, they get it back. They can just cast it. So you're, mm. it's, more of a, it's more of a taxing situation. You're not getting rid of things permanently. You're just, it's kind of like uh, Elite Spellbinder. You're just slowing them down. Right. While you're doing other, while you're doing other stuff, and if you're if you have a way to blink this in and out of existence a lot, then this just deals with problems that they've then got to recast, untap with, get around to attacking with, whatever. You know what I'm saying? Like blink out your blightsteel clauses. Okay, I guess I spend a whole turn recasting that with all of my treasure tokens. Now I want to swing with it. Okay, I'm just going to blink the extortionist and blink it out again. Say goodbye to that for another two turn cycle. And then they just stapled on random text at the bottom. If another player casts a spell from anywhere other than their hand, draw a card. So if they use a free spell, if they use a force of negation, if they use a force of will. Uh, oh, no, sorry. That's not true. If they cast things from their graveyard, basically, or cast things from exile, you're drawing cards. I mean, bit of a bit of a corner case, but it's just extra value on top of a card that already does work. I think that your your original point is is the, the best taken in that this is going to exile things faster than they can recast them, is, is what you're saying. And you're right. Like, especially if you get um, some teleportation circle going on or uh, any of the other end of the turn, you know, you get your Thassa going. Like, this is going to soak up so much mana worth of stuff they got to replay. And when they replay it, you get some cards. Just keep fueling the engine. Uh, amazing. And I'm for it. Oh, I missed that synergy completely in that analysis. That yeah, when it, <laughs> that that it's not just random text at the bottom; it's directly relevant to them recasting the cards from exile. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that seems like a very reasonable engine, right? It's not um amazing, but it's it's going to go into every stupid Brago deck. Just yeah, accept that now. 
All right, so I don't think I don't think this is breakable, but it's on my radar. Jailbreak. One and a white for a sorcery. Return target permanent card in an opponent's graveyard to the battlefield under their control. When that permanent enters the battlefield, return up to one target permanent card with equal or lesser mana value from your graveyard to the battlefield. Oh, this is very sneaky good. You get to look through a bunch of graveyards. There's going to be like 30 things to choose from mid-game. Pick the thing that is the most innocuous to you. Put it, Give it back to them. Make it a high casting cost thing. And then go ahead and put a permanent into play from your graveyard for two mana. This is better than reanimate. Because it's not just creatures. This could be a planeswalker. This can be an artifact. This can be an enchantment. There are a lot of decks who are going to find reason to go find their best card out of of the yard. And then just pick the least damaging thing to give an opponent. I hate giving my opponents things, man. I really do. I see what you're saying. But they don't get to pick. That's... The key here that people will overlook is the opponent is not picking the card. I understand that, but I, I just, like, I abhor giving my opponents stuff in Commander. Like, my whole thing is I want to take away their fun and their permanence and their life total. I don't want to give them that. I, I recognize that I am getting very equal value. I'm spending the card. You know, the mana value is very, very close to even. Like, you can get equal mana value and you're just spending two mana on the card but uh you know they have to have a a permanent i think this is one that is gonna get cheap and then some combo is gonna come along and you're just gonna be like holy hell well i mean here's what i like about this that makes it seem like a brick to me it's not that this leans into one particular combo it's that it's open-ended synergy Right for many combos that are pre-existing and combos that will come in the future. Because it just does a, a clean, simple thing. It goes and gets the permanent you need out of the graveyard, puts it back into play. You were you had been trying to set up your Heliod combo for infinite life or infinite damage or whatever, and they got rid of it, and it's in the graveyard, and now you want to bring it back. And, I'm trying to think of... Oh, go ahead. And so, like, say you... and And the cheaper your combo piece is... The less damaging this is, what you know, like who gives a shit? Here, have your soul ring back that somebody killed early on in the game, and I'm getting something, some tiny little thing I needed that was a combo piece. Have your three casting cost creature that doesn't really affect the board state mid to late game at all, and I'm gonna go get this thing I need that's gonna let me combo off. This card to me looks like the definition of open ended synergy. It does something that is a, it's very unique. There are no cards that do this. I can't think of a single card that lets you just go get any permanent from your yard. Can you? No, I'm I'm trying to think of like honestly, I'm trying to think of some legacy combo that's gonna bust like Phyrexian Devourer or um the one mana thirteen thirteen, you have to sacrifice thirteen power worth of stuff. Well I mean consider like, Eternal Eternal Witness is a massive S tier staple in ADH. Yeah, right. But... This is this is not that different from that. This is going to get the most important card in your yard, and it doesn't go to your hand. It goes into play. I see what you're saying. I don't think you're. I I agree. This is a a, a card I'm hoping to pick up at brick levels. I just I think that the combo potential for the card is going to outweigh just the random value of it. But I see where you're coming from. Oh no no, I, I'm asserting it is about combos because the card will perform best when it's winning the game or setting up a game win what all i'm saying is it's not specific to a kind of combo okay 
It's just because it's any permanent. Is your permanent? Are you in Brea and your combo is related to artifacts? Okay, this goes and gets an artifact. You're in Goshintai and you need to go get a specific enchantment back on the board to pillow fort up. This goes and gets that. Like, what do I give a shit about giving you a four four if I just put it? I put sphere of safety <laughs> into play. You know what I'm saying? Like, this is so open ended and so unique. I'm fairly convinced this is one of the top five bricks out of out of the commander cards. That's a bold statement, sir. We'll see if you're right. It's. It, it, if it ends up not being true, I think people are missing the point of the card because it it's super cheap, and the whole giving my opponents a thing. Well, I mean, you're going to check yards first, right? You're not going to cast it when it's disadvantageous. If the only thing in the yard is something you definitely can't afford to give somebody, you're going to hold the card, and yeah. presumably you're going to you're going to have some little, you know, spot remove great uh, spot removal in the deck to facilitate dealing with the thing you know what i'm saying like okay give it back to you get it give it back to you swords it (laughs) and then can proceed with doing exactly what i intended to do because i just did it for two mana i mean two mana is is very cheap right so it gives you a lot of options you're you're right about that Um, here's another here's another good one life insurance one three white and a black fantastic art uh enchantment extort which is whenever you cast a spell you can pay white or black if you do each opponent loses a life and you gain that much life so that's a three point drain from your the table if you've got three opponents still whenever a non-token creature dies you lose a life and create a treasure token sneaky point good. number one sneaky good nothing this is going to take over games this is not sneaky here's my argument a lot of players are going to look at this and go well that sucks they're going to wipe the board and I'm going to die. Right? Cuz if there's 20 if there's 20 creatures on the table and you're at 20 life and somebody wraths, you just died. Like there's 20 creatures in play, somebody's going to die anyway. But for advanced level deck builders, they are going to abuse the shit out of this card. They're going to figure out how to recast cast and recast a whole bunch of stuff and build a bunch of treasure tokens and keep the chain going and the stuff that they're casting between the extort and the effects of the actual spells in question will end up counterbalancing the loss of life much in the same way that you would see like Bolas's Citadel play out, right? Like whenever I'm playing against a Bolas Citadel deck, you're hoping that they're going to get themselves low enough on life that they kill themselves, but they often end up with incidental life gain along the way that lets them keep powering the engine. This has that kind of feel. Look, this is... Um, it, let's let's give some equivalent cards here. This is exactly as good as Black Market. Let's start there, okay? Black Market. Uh, if you're not familiar with it, three black black enchantment. Whenever a creature dies, put a counter on it at your main phase. You add the number of black mana equal to the number of counters on it. This is two colors, so it's not, you know, it's harder to cast. It doesn't go in as many decks, but it comes with extort. And instead of you getting the mana at your main phase. You get this mana to use whenever you want. Now, you do lose the life, but like you said, there's a lot of ways to, to mitigate that life loss, and you're about to do so many ridiculous things. Please note, this is your, not just your stuff, this is your opponent's stuff, too. And the, the ways you can abuse this card are many, and I am looking forward to buying a lot of this card. I'm not going to lie. Like this, this is going to do some ridiculous things. I am going to try and do some ridiculous things. I can't wait to play Life Insurance in my zombie deck as well, because Noxious Ghoul is best friends with this card, let me tell you. 
I bet this gets cheap. And because it's two colors, I'm not yet convinced it's a brick. Oh, I'm this convinced. Is, this, I think it's I think it's abusable. I just think it's going to be overlooked. Like I think there's a lot a lot of these cards where the average player is going to look at the card and not fully understand what they're dealing with. And then if a trend line develops on EDH Rec and through content creators, where you know Command Zone highlights a card like this and does a half episode breaking down all the ways you can bust it. <laughs> then you may see it take off. This is in my back pocket as I will not be surprised when this becomes very popular, but I first, mm-hmm. I don't want to be the first person <laughs> to try to make it popular. I it's, just want to be right, the first one to buy a bunch of it. I'm right on the cusp. Like I'm not going to be in a, I, I feel like I'm going to get the opportunity to buy these cheap. <clears throat> I don't think I have to buy them opening weekend. Right. I think it's going to take time for people to figure out how to abuse it. And, but if command zone or something similar highlights the card that might be the, the day that i go ahead and snap off a bunch um you know if they if they feature it in their streets of new capenna you know free for all and it does very well for the player in question and they talk through a bunch of synergies with other cards that's what you're looking for to to then move in okay all right still got a few to get through here burning some time killer service two and a green for an enchantment when Killer Service enters the battlefield, create a number of food tokens equal to the number of opponents you have. So early in the early mid-game, three. Make three food tokens for three mana. At the beginning of your end step, you may pay two and sacrifice a token. Any token. Doesn't matter what type. Doesn't have to be food. If you do, create a 4-4 green rhino warrior creature token. I mean, this goes in every green creature token deck from here to eternity. Because it takes your smallest token and turns it into a big token with your spare mana over and over and over again. How good is this if you get to flicker it, man? Um, yeah, this is amazing. I'm, I'm looking forward to watching people do some shenanigans with this too. Uh, the only thing it's missing is like, pay to sacrifice a token, draw a card, and make a 4-4 green. Like, this is amazing. I, I really like this design. The, the only thing I'll say about these Rhino creation cards like crash the party and this the the rhino warriors don't have trample if they had trample they'd be a little more interesting it'd be a little too good it would push them a little over the top as stands they are on my radar master of ceremonies this one looks good what the the only and the only issue i have here is that these good good white cards that they've been printing for commander over the last 18 months or so eventually start to steal mind space from each other right but that's all they're all staples you know what do you do when everything's a staple exactly nothing's a staple if everything's a staple so master of ceremonies three and a white three and a three four rhino druid at the beginning of your upkeep each opponent chooses money friends or secrets for each player who chooses money you and that player each create a treasure token for each player who chooses friends you and that player each create a one one green and white creature uh citizen creature token for each player who chooses secrets, you and that player each draw a card. So Thank let's just God say you get... this says beginning of upkeep. I thought, when I first read this card, I thought it was a come into play effect. Yeah. So the beginning of your upkeep. So it's got to survive one turn. And then you start getting, let's just say it's even. Each person chooses something different for whatever reason. You're getting a treasure, a token, and drawing a card every turn. That's yep. a brick. That's a brick. I'm for and it. And the reason it's a brick, it's in a single color. It's in a color that needs these kinds of effects, generally speaking. 
I'm not actually convinced White's that bad anymore, <laughs> given everything we've gotten. But this certainly seems set up to uh, be one of the better options. This is good in, in a tokens deck, but doesn't need to be in a tokens deck. It's just generally good. So like something like a Smothering Tithe or a Mangara or whatever, you're just going to end up running it in your white decks because it's a good card. And you may find some synergies for the treasures or the tokens or the drawing of the cards, but there's almost no way for this to go wrong. The table thinks you need creatures the most, so they all choose cards and treasure. Okay. They, they don't want to give you treasure because you're stuck on mana, so they're giving you creatures and cards, and you draw into the, the lands you need. Like, it's really hard for this to go wrong. And it doesn't do anything else but this, but this is more than enough. And it's not threatening to the board in a way that immediately draws the swords to plowshares. It's kind of like a smothering tithe. People leave, and Rhystic Study and whatever, people leave that shit on board for way too long. Because they're because because they hold their point removal for the stuff that's really threatening them and the only way that stuff tends to get swept is if somebody casts a heliod's intervention or something and just goes for a bunch of the value targets at once and in the mid to late game they might they still might not hit the tithe and they still might not hit this because the game is now pivoting on a turn by turn who's going to win thing where people are either trying to alpha strike or combo off or whatever and the incremental uh, resource advantages no longer draw attention. I think Master of Ceremonies might be the best card we've talked about so far. It's good. I, I think that the fact that it only can, it can only go off once a turn is really, like, I'm really grateful. Like, if it was a come-into-play effect, it would immediately be in every stupid Blink deck, and I would hate it a bunch. So, thank goodness it is weaker. But I really want to talk course, about it. Oh, of course, if you, if you have Paradox Haze in play, then you still get I was to go thinking about twice. stupid Paradox Haze, yeah. <laughs> That card needs that, to reprint again, too. Here, here's another one that I think is sneaky good. Um, there's a lot... First of all, sidestep. What does sneaky good imp, imp, imply about the design team on these sets? On this set in particular? They're doing a lot of work. Like, For Magic to be almost 30 years in, and they're, we're seeing fresh takes on... like There are a lot of interesting cards here. And that's impressive given where we are in the history of the game. Back to the point. Currency Converter, an artifact for one mana. Whenever you discard a card, you may exile that card from your graveyard. Okay. Two, draw a card, then discard a card. That's just a generally useful ability. You're looting for two whenever you want. When you discard that card, it's being exiled. Then you can tap, put a card exiled with Currency Converter back into your graveyard... If it's a land, you get a treasure token. If it's a non-land, you get a 2-2 black rogue creature token. That does a lot of things. (laughs) It does a whole lot of things. Um, So you have a deck that discards for value. Right. Okay. Okay. This helps you. You have a deck that needs to draw into specific combo pieces. The looting helps you. You need some additional treasure. This can help. You need some additional creatures. This can help. This And it's one mana... It's colorless. People are going to find ways to combo with and around this card for a long time. Yep. This is cheap enough that um, somebody will try it in a legacy deck and it'll be cute, but it won't be good enough. Or, or to your earlier point, they will find a combo that makes it good enough. We just haven't can't think of it. That's true, time. too. That's true, too. 
Um, I want to briefly talk about the uh, confluences that exist for each of the three colors. The problem with cards like this is even when they do cool things, they're in three colors. So I, I think most of these you can just ignore for the time being and check back in with EDH rec down the road and see if any of them have impressive enough stats. I think that in general, three color cards tend to not be able to get there because they don't have the kind of broad applications that a master of ceremonies will have. But these are still powerful cards if you're in the right colors. Obscure a confluence, choose three. You may choose the same mode more than once. That's very important, the, the yes. choosing the same mode thing. Until end of turn, target creature loses all abilities and has base power toughness 1-1. One, one. That's blowout central right there, folks. Target creature connives. Nice little value engine. Target player returns a creature card from their graveyard to their hand. That's a very flexible card if you're in those colors. All, all of the confluences do amazing things. So, like, you're, you're exactly right. You've got to keep an eye on what you can do as uh, a three mana. Like, these are, you know... Five, four, five, six mana, some of these in three colors. These are not easy to cast, but they really do reward you. Cabaretti Confluence, I'm a little less uh, hot on three red, green, white. So six, and it's a sorcery. Choose three, you may choose the same mode more than once. Create a token that's a copy of target creature you control, it gains haste. Sacrifice it at the beginning of the next end step. Exile target artifact or enchantment. Creatures target player controls get plus one, plus one, and gain first strike until end of turn. Very powerful card, because <laughs> you can get rid of problematic artifacts or enchantments up to three times. Six mana for doing that three times is not crazy. That's not that far off Helios Intervention. Um, let's say you're you're in win more mode. You happen to have a Craterhoof Behemoth on the table. Oh, come on. And you copy it three times. <laughs> and then swing for your likely win, because uh, one of those... One of those modes you could have chosen, your creatures get plus one, plus one, and first strike till end of turn, as necessary. This is a very powerful card. I, I don't think it's brickable, given the three-color cost requirement. Yeah. Next one on next one on my list that looks uh, like it has broad applications, though, is Rose Room Treasurer. Three and a red for an Ogre Warrior, 4-3. Has Alliance. Whenever another creature enters, enters the battlefield under your control, create a treasure token if this is the first or second time this ability has resolved this turn. Otherwise, you may pay X. When you do, Rose Room Treasurer deals X damage to any target. So you get treasures for your first two tokens per turn. And then you start, you, you get the ability to deal fireball. out. Fireball. Just bang, well, yeah, bang, 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 yeah, bang, bang. Yeah, you get to split it, right? Because well, you, you can't split. You have to like have a creature come into play. Your third creature lets you target something. It's not like you get to pay X and deal X however you want. You get... One shot here, one shot there on your fourth creature. You know, you oh, no, no. have a, a lot going on. Well, let's be clear. Let's say you're putting five tokens into play. Th this, you get two treasures on the first two creatures. And then the third, fourth, and fifth, let's say you have extra mana up. And you need to kill three things on board that have two toughness. You just have to have six more mana available. And because you were getting treasures up to this point, right? You're in a right. token stack. You've been doing this for a while. Like, Rose Room Treasurer has survived two or three turns. Again, the kind of card that isn't likely to draw removal right away. Because it's just generating some incremental advantage, a lot like the Master of Ceremonies. It's You're building up a, a stockpile of treasures that presumably let you s pick and choose things to pick off with all that extra mana. This, this card, again, sneaky good. Because it leads to play patterns. Like, let's say you're in Naya. 
you've got a smothering tithe and a rose room treasurer going. You've had that going for a few turns. You're getting to the mid-late game. You're probably sitting on 10, 15, 20 treasure tokens. <laughs> yeah, and I, don't call, I don't call a card that makes this many treasure tokens sneaky in any way. But, but it doesn't... Understand that like the a sneaky card is a card where... Think of something like... Oh, what's a good example? Um, I, I get what you're saying. It doesn't immediately scream, oh my god, kill me. But like you, an Uro. People are, people are going to Pe- see... Uro? That's not, that's not sneaky in any way, buddy. I'm not saying Uro's sneaky. I'm saying you understand that there are cards like Uro, where everyone looks at it and goes, that card costs too little. Like, no one looked at Uro and went, oh, that's not good. Everyone looks at Ragavan or Uro and goes, undercosted, overpowered, so obvious. They handed it to you on a platter. Rose and Treasure doesn't look like that because it doesn't, it's a 4 3 for 4, doesn't do anything when it hits the table. It generates incremental advantage over time. I think that is sneaky good. I, th- I think people will underestimate this card. They'll think this is not good enough for my commander deck. But when they see it played against them, they will go, oh, I get it. They made like, they made five or six treasure tokens over the course of a couple of turns pinged off a couple of things, and then in some future turn, they sacked 10 treasures, tapped a bunch of lands, and killed everything relevant on the table. Yes, that that is exactly going to happen, and it will be a thing of beauty when it does. So I, I think Rose Room Treasure and Master of Ceremonies are not exactly comparable. I think Master is better, but they're close. And I, 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 I suspect... I think Rose Room both... Treasure is, like, ridiculously better. Oh, really? You, yeah, you like, like Rose Room... I think okay. Rose Room is way better. You're going to look, Master of Ceremonies is going to trigger on your upkeep. Rose Room um, it Treasurer, you're going to be able to trigger that a lot of times when you're building around it. Like, how many different ways do you have to put stuff into play on somebody else's turn? Yes, you are flagging a good point that you can, you could potentially abuse this by generating tokens on multiple turn cycles. I was thinking of stuff like Verdant Force or the Dryad from uh, What's Its Bucket that makes a sapperling on everybody's upkeep. Cranko mob boss. Cranko, Cranko, <laughs> Cranko. Cranko's could good. Be nasty. I was thinking this is really good. Also, in um, if you had something going with uh, what's its face? Uh, open the grave, like in a black red shell. Open the graves. Whenever a creature dies, you get a creature token. So now you get a treasure to go with that, or even ghoulish procession. It would be good there too. Oni cult anvil and cat oven combos. Yes. That would be a thing as well. That's gross too. Anyway, Rosium Treasurer and Master of Ceremonies look like plants to me. <laughs> these these are supposed to be bricks. Yeah. Um, in too I, deep. I think this is the best card on the list, honestly. In too deep. Yes. Oh. I think this is going to be the most popular card, except maybe for resourceful defense or uh, replication. But uh, that's because we are addicted to ways to deal with somebody else's commander, and this is. Two blue mana for an enchantment aura with split second. We haven't had a split second card in 20 yep. years. Yeah. Enchant a creature, a planeswalker, or a clue. We got one in Modern Horizons 2. Did we? Okay. A, a, a minus minus. That's right. Yeah. But um, anyway, keep going. So it's enchant a creature, a planeswalker, or a clue. And the, and the enchanted permanent is a colorless clue with two sack it to draw a card. So, yes, they get to sacrifice their commander and unlock it from something like um, the white enchantment that turns it into an 0-1 indestructible mirror. But the ability to just, Dark like, Steel Mutation? 
Yeah, the ability to... Thank you for knowing these card names when I, I remember what they do, just not what they're called. Goes both uh, ways. When you like get the ability to just say, for two blue mana, your creature or planeswalker is no longer a problem. Like, and you can't say nothing. Split second. The best wow. you're going <clears> to <throat> hope for is to flip over your will bender and change the target. There are also some nasty things that can be done with a card like this because we're heading into an era where treasure is increasingly a major portion of the mana base, um, the mana resource base for a lot of commander decks. So cards like Karn the Great Creator are going to be increasingly I was thinking about that too. Where you can't activate any artifacts, so you're not getting your commander back until they deal with Karn. How about... How about with Null Rod and Legacy, huh? Huh? Sure. Huh? I, I am a little confused here about why it enchants Creature, Planeswalker, or Clue. Can it has to be a Clue, clue because in? it turns it into a Clue. If it didn't have Clue on there, it would fall off and be stupid. Got it. Because it's really funny if you put it on an existing Clue. That would be that. That would be kind of overkill. Like you, you discovered too much there. Buddy. I made my clue into a clue, and now the yes. whole table like takes a pause and looks around, like trying to figure out what's going on. Yeah, is there a camera someplace? I don't understand what's happening here. But I, I think that because this is uh, commander removal, that people can't say squat about. You know, it. The they do get to sack it and recast it, but you know, you're you're buying that time, but you can't answer it. It's split second. We love and that feeling. And if it's not a commander, you've just dealt with it. It's gone. Like they've got, a plans they've got a Planeswalker that's about to ultimate. This is a blue solution to Planeswalkers. We have uh, something in the moon. Hidden in the moon? Enchanted in the moon? The, yeah, the one from Innistrad block. Uh, oh, Eldritch two in a, moon. Two, yeah. two in a blue. Imprisoned in the moon. Whatever it is. They go to the moon and become a colorless land, right? The this is extra of that which very few blue decks will not want so yes i agree that this is top three at least uh looks All like right, a brick i'll take me. i'll take top three i don't think we'll have a chance to have it as a brick i think it's gonna stay more expensive than most of the things on this list disagree here's the thing about all these cards that are only relevant in commander they often take more time to take off than other cards yes. I agree with that. All right, let's a few more cards here, and then we'll we'll rack up our top five. Aven Courier, one in a blue, flying one one bird advisor. Whenever Aven Courier attacks, choose a counter on a permanent you control. Put a counter of that kind on target permanent you control if it doesn't have a counter of that kind on it. So, this is basically a staple in creature counters matters synergy decks, like attracts of creatures. Um where most of your creature permanents are going to have a bunch of different counter, counter types on them. And there's a whole bunch of ways to get different kinds of counters now, including shield counters. So presumably you're using your Aven Courier to move shield... Like, your baseline is that you're moving plus one, plus one counters around. But you might... And if you have cards that can take counters off to do things, you can move them around and get real fancy. Mm -hmm. um, with cards like the Ozolith... You're getting additional options, right? Because you can move counters off the Ozolith onto other things. Um, this is cute. I think it's going to be dirt cheap because I I agree. 
There, there's no none of the top ten commanders right now, other than Atraxa, care much about this card. So this is a this is a cool card. Uh, it's going to see play, but I don't think it's it's a brick. Um, Angelic Sleuth, two and a white angel advisor, two three flyer. Whenever another permanent you control leaves the battlefield, if it had counters on it, investigate. This is kind of in the same vein, uh, but it's better. Like of the two, this is the one that that does more work because basically whether you're if you run this in a tracks of super friends, then when your planeswalkers die, you get half a card back, and if you're doing it in creature counters, same deal. And then presumably there are a bunch of ways for you to fiddle with it and make it even better. Again, I think this is going to get very cheap, and uh, I expect it to be largely overlooked. Unlike this next card, if you got to pick a <laughs> if you got to pick a counters matters card to focus on brickwise, this is probably it. Resourceful defense is two and a white for an enchantment. Whenever a permanent you control leaves the battlefield, if it had counters on it, put those counters on target permanent you control. Four and a white move any number of counters from target permanent you control to another target permanent you control. Okay, this is super busted. Giant fan, you're back. In attracts of super friends, when your planeswalkers die, you can take counters off them to put onto other things. Now, if they were attacked, if they were attacked to death, they lose loyalty counters, so that's not going to matter, right? But if they die in some other way, it will. But more to the point, thinking small. More, more to the point, you can move a bunch of counters from one planeswalker to another to immediately ultimate. In which sense, which leaves this in a doubling season esque kind of game ending scenario, and that's just tip of the iceberg of all the crazy shit you can do with this card. Because it says leaves the battlefield, you can flicker a planeswalker and put its counters on something. <laughs> yeah, you can bounce a planeswalker and put its counters on something. Yeah, like it is like a great combination of this card does literally nothing by itself. It is just blank on top of blank if it doesn't have something fun to play with, and the fact that it's got so many fun things to play with. Uh, I'm really looking forward to uh, this card. Hopefully, getting cheap. This one, this is in my top five. The Ozolith was super underrated when it first came out, and I just sold foil extended arts of that that I bought at 15 for 40 multiple times this week. So, uh, I think you can rely on resourceful defense to be a brick. I, I uh, hope so. Broker's Confluence, two Bant instant. Choose three. You may choose the same mode more than once. Proliferate. Target creature phases out, counter target activated or triggered ability. Very much a super friends card because, again, proliferate three times on your three or four planeswalkers could win you the game outright on the spot. And it's at instant speed. Uh, so you can do it end of the opponent's turn before yours and surprise the shit out of everybody with what just happened. This is a very narrow game winning card. I'll say this I don't think it's a brick. But in the decks that want it, it's going to be a very powerful card that will often win the game. Are you going to put it in your Atraxa deck? Is there room yeah. in your deck for this? Uh, that's always the question. There's like so many things that can go in right. there. There's only And there's only so many utility defend the Planeswalker slots. And you've already got Teferi's Protection and Heroic Intervention just as your baselines. And you've got to be in that realm to accompany. 
Um, but I would certainly at least try it because the thing is like they're attacking into a key plane. There's always somebody who volunteers to go in on your planeswalker to try <laughs> to, to try to prevent you from uh, ultimating, yeah. you know. And somebody goes, okay, you don't attack me next turn, and I will swing and hit James's planeswalker. And then you brokers confluence proliferate twice and phase out the creature they attacked with, <laughs> and then you win on the next turn. So. This is a very good card in the right deck, but it's a perfect example of how comparing this to Master of Ceremonies or Rose Room Treasurer, the applications are more narrow. Now, they're not that narrow. Like, it's not like it just does things and attracts it. Let's say that you cast uh, Crash the Party, and you've got a bunch of rhinos. And then the next turn, you Broker's Confluence and create three more rhinos. Sure. That might well be enough to get in on, on your opponent's. And you might do it in response to them targeting your commander and phase your commander out and make two more rhinos at the same time and block somebody's attack. I mean, it, and then it has this third mode, counter target activated or triggered or ability that could just, could could save the table from a game ending combo while also doing these things to advance your board position. So in Bant, this card, it, assuming that you're fooling around with things that care about these modes, I think the card's an all-star. I just think it's because it's Bant, probably not a brick. Um, li- likewise, Damning Verdict is like the 12th good uh, sweeper that they've given us in the last year. You can really make it one-sided, and that's always fun in a wrath. But yeah, it, we've gotten a lot of these effects. Three, three white, white sorcery destroy all creatures with no counters on them. I will tell you that one-sided wraths are much better than people realize. Like, there's two or three of them that kill all non-artifact creatures. Yeah. And they are so, so good in Brea. Like, all... It's basically Cyclonic Rift, right? So, better. if you're in a counters-based strategy, um, then Damning Verdict is excellent. But it's going to be specific to those strategies. So, it's not going to see the kind of broad play that Farewell does that makes the best copies of Farewell very expensive. Um, wrapping up here, Extravagant Replication. Super Brick. Oh, no, never going to be cheap. Well, we'll get to the we'll get to the like price point question in a second. When I say okay. something's a brick, I'm not claiming it's going to be so cheap you'll buy a lot of them. I'm just saying for sure this card is going to see broad play and it's a card that will gain price. Okay, I'm with you now, on that. Now, now, if the counter argument is it's going to start at $30 and never be cheaper than $30, let me, let me use an example. I said Bosagia would get to sub $10. Ben Blyweiss, it's SCG, said it will never get below 20 So far, he's right. I'm wrong. That card has never gone below 20 So are you still supposed to buy Bosagia to try to get from 23 to 45 Maybe. <laughs> will Besejo get to 45 before it catches reprints in relevant challenger decks next year? Maybe. I bet you those in those decks, one of the decks has one copy. Would be, would be my guess. So, back to this. It's a brick in the sense that it's going to see very broad play, it has very broad applications, and I'm willing to bet that most of these cards get, get cheap enough. This card is an enchantment for four double blue. At the beginning of your upkeep, create a token that's a copy of another target non-land permanent you control. So, uh, it can't copy itself. But well, we'll but, talk about that. Yeah, but you can use a copy card 
that can copy enchantments and end up with two copies of this card, and they can refer past each other to create copies of each other, and you can do that until you're satisfied and then set them loose on the rest of your board. Do you want to do it with Clever Impersonator or Copy Enchantment? I, I just want to know which one you prefer. The, all I know is even when this is just copying your best thing every turn, it's kind of got that followed footsteps feel, and followed footsteps has been good for a long time in Commander. Um, it sucks when they when they get rid of this right away. It, this is absolutely a lightning rod card. Um, they're going to feel the need to deal with immediately and will give somebody the impetus to fire off their Heliod's intervention. That said, this is too juicy, too fun. It's absolutely a brick. With you. Totally. 100%. Can't wait. Uh, what's my last thing on the menu here? How about Cryptic Pursuit? Two blue-red enchantment. Whenever you cast an instant or a sorcery spell from your hand, manifest the top card of your library. Haven't seen that for a while. Manifest is put the card on the battlefield face down as a 2-2 creature. Turn it face up any time for its mana cost if it's a creature card. Whenever a face-down creature you control dies, exile it if it's an instant or sorcery card. You may cast that card until the end of your next turn. So what this card does is it starts making 2-2s. Whenever you cast an instant or sorcery spell, you get a 2-2. And presumably you're in a blue-red or Jeskai or Grixis spells-based, spells-matters deck, and you're going to take use those 2-2s as blockers at some point, and then they're going to block and die, and then you're going to get to cast the spell for free, and you're... I don't think it's for free. Sorry, you get to cast the spell uh, until the end of your turn, paying mana for it. It's not free. Right. Um, it's just an incremental value engine that seems good in those kinds of decks. I mean, it it gives a free... It's Talrand. It gives you the 2-2 two -two, uh, when you cast something. And the fact that your 2-2 two -two can then become something else sweet and manifest you more stuff, it's just awesome. And uh, I can't decide if this or uh rose room uh treasurer is my fifth card in the list so i'm gonna list two and for the list. record talrand sky summoner is in twenty-eight thousand edh decks five percent of all blue decks it's a merfolk wizard whenever you cast an instant or sorcery spell create a 2-2 two -two blue drake creature token with flying arguably in as long as you're in blue red cryptic pursuit is better because as an enchantment it's less vulnerable than talrand is as a creature um, and has more upside in the sense that you're not just getting the 2-2, you're potentially casting those spells later. So I think this is a brick, but I, it's not, I don't think it makes my top five. Okay. I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to call it Brick Jr. <laughs> Fine. Um, I'll list my favorite, uh, do you ready to compare lists? You want to give me your top five so far? Would, is there I'd anything like... else, any, anything I missed here? Anything else that jumped, that I didn't cover? No, this is a, a a lot of good stuff, and quite frankly, like every year the commander decks get sweeter, and this one is no exception. Like every set, the cards that they make for it are ridiculous, and I'm I'm feeling a little flooded on cool things I can do in decks, but uh, I take heart from the fact that as long as I'm doing something pretty cool, if there's another cool card, I'll eventually find it. Okay. So, my top five. Um, I think In Too Deep is the best uh, so far. And then I can't wait on Extravagant Replication is number two. 
It's because I love copying things. Grand Crescendo for number three to make things indestructible and to make some tokens. Uh, Resourceful Defense at number four because that's ridiculous. And then either Rose Room or Cryptic Pursuit at number five. I don't know what my order is yet, but it's Master Ceremonies, Rose Room Treasurer, In Too Deep, Resourceful Defense, Extravagant Replication. The consistent theme throughout all of these is they don't necessarily need any particular deck to be good. Resourceful Defense is a bit of an uh, anomaly from that angle because it does, in fact, care about counters. But there's enough of that around that it's still going to be an important card. Um, maybe it's my fifth place as a result. Um, and I could be convinced that it's something like Into Deep... Master of Ceremonies, Extravagant Replication, Rose Room Treasurer, Resourceful Defense. Um, very curious to see whether we get close uh, when we check back on EDH rec stats in like 60 days. Side note, very uh, a lot of the time, these slots in the collector boosters end up a little too narrow, a little too low-powered to really matter, and they don't contribute to your opening. I think this time you're in a better than average position in that regard i would be keeping the ones you will if you like to crack collector boosters i would just be taking all of the extended art commander cards and just setting them aside and being patient given enough time i can see a lot of stuff that starts at around a dollar here ending up two to five dollars and i think that's gonna i think that's gonna tip the scales on the streets of new capanna collector boosters given six twelve eighteen months because there's going to be like I said, there's going to be some sneaky good cards here, maybe some that we didn't highlight, that are going to get activated along the way as a very popular commander that cares about what these cards do comes to the forefront. Um, maybe Jailbreak is my is my like Honorable sixth. mention? Yeah, my honorable mention. Uh and I won't be surprised if some of the stuff that we left off that list ends up sure. in the top five. Absolutely. There's, there's, a lot of this depends on which of the Streets of New Commander Commanders end up being the most popular. So far, very, very early goings. Um, the, the commanders from the main set that are being registered the most are Jetmere Nexus of Revels, which is the tokens-flavored commander. Mm-hmm. Rafine Scheming Seer, which is the Connive Commander, and Lord Xander, uh, the Collector, who, which is the one that forces opponents to discard half their hand, mills half their library, and sacrifices half their permanence. Um, so that's kind of more of a build around Commander than any particular theme per se. Yeah, we're gonna we're gonna have to wait and see what you know. The, these are the the really 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 early adopters, and we'll have to see what. Yeah. people want to do so but but I, I think it's probably a pretty good chance that Jetmere stays top three for sure and might hold that first slot um and then you got to consider edhrec doesn't have the commanders from these decks listed yet yeah. uh, that'll happen in the next few days um but if you if you believe Jetmere is going to be a thing you know a top 20 commander for the next year year and a half then some of these really good tokens cards are more important than they might otherwise be I I would agree with you on that. Like we a little patience and popping up and you know Naya tokens is much more fun than uh, just two to- two color tokens. So let's see where where this goes, especially because the commander is the overrun. 
Alrighty, we've had uh, a nice two-hour session here on top of you beating my ass on Arena for a little while before the cast. So uh, uh, Don't forget everybody watching me beat your ass. On, uh, <laughs> that's an important part of the process. As I'm, as I'm sure they enjoyed. Um, congrats, congrats again on your win. Uh, it's uh, pretty cool for us to be in the finals together, so good job. And I uh, guess we will regroup next week and see uh, how some of this is shaping up uh, as people get their hands on some of these cards and start to get an understanding of what is good and what is not. Uh, where can folks find you online, Cliff? You can find me online at Word of Commander on Twitter, as well as my Friday articles on mtgprice.com. You guys can find me on Twitter at mtgcritic, as well as via my occasional articles on mtgprice.com. I'd also like to remind our listeners to check out the mtgprice.com Pro Trader service for just $9.99 a month or $109.99 per year. You can get early access to this podcast, fantastic articles by the best MTG finance minds in the business, low-cost group buys, and a super active Discord forum that will drive better returns and save you money playing Magic the Gathering. Once again, MTG Fast Finance is proudly sponsored by Cool Stuff, Inc., where you can find all sorts of cool, nerdy stuff in stock, including all the best in Magic the Gathering singles, sealed product, and a plethora of other collectibles. Please use the promo code FINANCE with the number 5 at the end during the checkout at Cool Stuff, Inc. to save 5% off your order and support this podcast. Ooh, we made it through a lot of stuff today, James. Pretty exhausting for me to be teaching all day, uh, whip your ass, and then talk to you for two hours. <laughs> Busy day indeed. Busy uh, day. Thank you, Cliff. Thank you, Cliff. Uh, we'll see you guys all next week on another episode of MTG Fast Finance.